When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. And I'm Grant. And if you're joining us for the very first time, we are so glad you're here so you can listen to us talk about the weirdest music you've ever listened to and some of the best music you've ever listened to while Lucas does a puzzle in a beanbag chair. I was just informed you're doing <laughs> a puzzle while we're, while we're recording. We actually record remote, so we're not face-to-face, which is something our longtime listeners know. If you're a new listener... You might think about liking it and subscribing if you like what you are listening to. Leave us a review. Leave us a comment on whatever platform you're listening on. If you want to get in on the conversation, talk about your favorite artists, your favorite songs, see what's coming up new in the podcast on our Facebook and Instagram page. You will get all that information at Good Music Podcast. And if you want exclusive and early access to special content, We have a link down in the description to a Patreon page where you can pay just a few bucks a month and help support the podcast. We really do appreciate all our patrons. And in turn, you will get a extra section at the end of the show where we talk about the worst songs of every artist every week. We like to call it our bad music podcast, and it's a whole lot of fun. So you'll definitely want to stick around for that if you're interested in just a good laugh and, you know, listening to some pretty bad music sometimes um without further ado actually not without further ado i keep saying without further ado and there is further ado actually um so last week we talked about journey which we're talking about a completely opposite side of the spectrum artist this week yeah um and i of course if any of our longtime listeners know i was very much against journey before this episode and i set myself at a six I'd say I'd solidified as a seven. Um, I, it's it's going to take a little bit of work to get up from there. I think there needs to be like some some songs that I hear that will change the wiring in my brain a little bit for me to be like, ooh, that was just a, really just a good song because of this tangible reason. Um, but yeah, I listened through a little bit of that ranked playlist. I started at Chain Reaction and moved my way up. Got a little bit through there. Didn't make it quite to the end. Um, I listened through Raised on Radio, and that was a really great, that was a really great set of songs. Um, it did not stop the goodness, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Um, great record. And, of course, I like, there's a lot of music to listen to this week. Um, Dream Theater's new album came out, so I yeah. had to give that a listen. I've and given it, it two was, listens. It was, um, 
it was pretty good, I would say. Yeah. Like the the epic at the end, it wasn't that bad. There were some pretty great moments. Like yeah. I was thinking, oh, this is gonna be them trying to make a quick buck off of like their recognition, but I feel like they put some pretty good pretty good work into that and I really enjoyed it. But anyway, we're not talking about any of that this week. If you want to hear about Journey and Dream Theater, we have two episodes on Journey now and a really great episode on Dream Theater that's over a year and a half old. So hopefully we'll revisit them soon. Hint, hint, maybe. Cross your fingers. We'll this see. This is me telling Lucas that we should, <laughs> we should revisit. But we are talking about some really brutal stuff this week. Who are we talking about, Lucas? We're talking about Carcass. With a name like that, it's got to be intense. Oh, yeah. I would say... Is this the heaviest band we've ever talked about here? Vocally, I would say yes. I would say it's it's a toss-up between them and Meshuggah. Mm, Meshuggah see, really heavy. Meshuggah but, is... But, but in a very different way. Yeah, but this is, in a weird way, like I, I heard some elements of death in Carcass, because it's just, it's death metal, right? So he's got the death guitars and all that stuff. But there's there's a odd, oddly disproportionately high amount of Megadeth. It was like this was it was like killer death. It was somewhere in the middle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I I I um well I'll just go ahead and get into first thoughts with that. So yeah. I could not have told you that this was Carcass until a third song. I don't know their sound. Uh, their third song is the only one I heard. My introduction to them was, um, so I run a metal memes page. And I had asked all of my uh, followers on Instagram, hey, what's your favorite metal band? Just one day, because I was trying to come up with posts and whatever, and what, what kind of memes they would enjoy. And someone said Carcass. I'm like, ooh, I've never heard of that band. They probably are really brutal. And so I looked them up and then somehow I got to the third song on our set and I listened through that. I'm like, hey, this is pretty good. And then I went on to the next guy's suggested band. Um, and, and I thought the, the chorus of that song was, it was an interesting take. Like you, it, it sounded like it should be melodic. And yet the vocals in this band are very garbage disposal <laughs> if you're into garbage disposal you'll love this but if, if that's kind of a a euphemism you use in a derogatory way then maybe this will be a little bit of a leap for you but it's good to get out of your comfort zone every once in a while so yeah i mean that's 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 my first and only experience with them before this episode and i would have to say i i because of that i don't know a lot i had to put them at a five it's an uninformed five. I know there's, you know, a couple people who are like, man, Carcass is just the best metal band. Wow. You know, so it, it should be pretty easy to push me to a six. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's a, I'm pretty much a blank template for today. All right. I, I had a feeling you would be. And when you when you told me earlier that there was probably one song that you had heard before, I immediately thought uh, it's the third one. <laughs> Okay, good, good, good. I figured. Um, oh, Carcass. So I'm just going to put out the disclaimer right now that um, uh, we 
try and keep things fairly family friendly on this uh, on this podcast, uh, but we are gonna just the nature of the lyrical subject in this is gonna. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and be as gentle. But oh. if you are someone that doesn't normally listen to not just metal but pretty extreme metal, Carcass is not gonna be the band for you. But I would still recommend in the spirit that we promote on this uh channel about um giving everything a good try and um, getting out of our comfort zones, I would still recommend that you uh, listen to the songs that we're going to be talking about. But just a disclaimer, probably mostly metalheads are going to be the ones that are going to be interested in getting into Carcass. Mm-hmm. They're just that kind of band. Um, yeah. I discovered Carcass um, probably about like four or five years ago. I was just kind of when I when I finally crossed the gap into getting into extreme metal. Um, for those of you that remember, if, if you've listened to our death episode, I kind of talked about that. That was like the first like band that really made me go, okay, harsh vocals they don't really bother me. I think I'm starting to like this more extreme style death metal. Um, cause there was like, I had listened to Meshuggah before then and as I lay dying and, um, you know, was starting to get into the heavier side of Pantera and, but I hadn't gotten to the point yet where I was just like, Oh, I love the harsh vocals. I still always preferred the clean stuff and still preferred like the more melodic and the stuff to where it's not just like pure brutality. Mm-hmm. Um, once I crossed the gap, that's kind of when I started to just try and find out, okay, what are the other great extreme artists slash albums? That's when I came across Carcass. Um, I found their third record, Necroticism. And I was just like, huh, this is, this is interesting. (laughs) I could, I could get down to this. Uh, and then I found their um, their first couple of records, and that's when I didn't like it the first time I heard it. But like, it was kind of when I my curiosity was piqued because it was unlike anything that I'd ever heard before. And I was just like, okay, there's something here. Um, I just I don't know how I feel about it. And then I found Surgical Steel, and that was kind of the first Carcass record that I was just like, holy crap, I love this. This is awesome. And that's when I would say I kind of became, I wouldn't even say a Carcass fan, because I didn't return to it enough to be able to say, oh, I'm I'm really into Carcass. Um, but that was the album where I was just like, if I come across them again, I'm going to listen to it. And so um, a, a month ago, or a little less than a month ago, their new album came out. And that's when it occurred to me, we haven't done anything extreme metal-wise in a while. And I think it'd be great timing to talk about Carcass. And so that's when I was just like, okay, let's do this. This will be a good chance for me to finally do a deep dive into them and really learns about them and get to know their discography 
Mm-hmm. Um, plus, I already know that I do like them. It's just now let's let's find out about them. So I would have said that I would have been at a six starting off. There was there was some stuff of theirs that I really liked, but they weren't yet a band that I would be like constantly returning to going i gotta know more i gotta listen to more this is this episode was my excuse to get to know them better okay i i i think that's uh that's a unique type of episode usually you it seems like you do episodes because you're just so excited to tell everybody about an artist in a way i i still was because um just metal in general is kind of my my expertise it's it's i've studied its history and for a long time i've understood the importance of carcass i've understood why so many people kind of revere them as one of the all-time great extreme bands mm-hmm. um but i hadn't really gotten into the like discovering for myself why and so okay. Going into it, I knew I was going to have a great time talking about their story and their influence and their impact, um, and that, that that was something I was going to be excited to talk about. But it is also kind of fun to be able to go into deciding, okay, this is what I'm going to do for an episode, and kind of going into it going, I don't know what the songs are going to be. I don't know what I'm going to pick. I don't know how this is going to go, but let's let's find out. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 it yeah it certainly is so would you categorize them as extreme metal or death metal or something else extreme metal and this is going to be a great for those of you guys that don't listen to metal even if you don't listen to the songs just this will be an informative episode you'll get to learn some of the history of metal and and learn some new some new uh key terms um, extreme metal is like an umbrella term. It's not a style. Extreme okay. pretty much just means that it's not metal that your average person's going to listen to. Like people that are not into metal are still going to find themselves listening to Metallica every now and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're going to have some Black Sabbath or some Ozzy on their playlist. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might even have a Megadeth song or two, you know. And I would also say that extreme metal usually means that the vocals are extreme, like the growling vocal. Right. That's the, what the garbage disposal. Yeah. In all the <laughs> that intent, that'd be high right. pitched, low pitched, pig squeal, mid mid range. Because um, that usually is going to be the defining thing that turns a normal person off to listening to that kind of metal right. is going to be the vocals. You can, I found that you can almost do whatever you want with the rest of the instruments. As long as the vocals are palatable, your average person's going to give it a chance. Once you throw the growl, harsh vocals in, that's when you're going to start losing people. Your, your normies. So that's, that's what I, find to be the definition of extreme metal it's metal that um that has that vocal quality right okay so they would technically be extreme metal 
so mo- most of your death metal is going to be extreme. Um, your black metal, your all of most of your cores, your your metal core, your death core, your slam core, your um, your tech death, certain prog metal bands like. Um, I would say like the first half of Opeth's career would be considered extreme. Although now that they do only clean vocals, they are not an extreme band exclusively anymore. So they would only, you would only see the extreme side of them if you went to a concert. Um, But like uh, a band like between the buried and me would be an extreme group, even though they're a prog metal band and not all prog metal bands are extreme. I mean, look at dream theater. They would not be extreme metal. Oh yeah. They're, they're one of the more palatable metal bands. And but, I mean, they have some pretty insane instrumentation stuff going. So that's a pretty good point about the instruments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would also like, I would be almost ready to, call Slayer an extreme band, an extreme metal band. Because there's usually hardly anything melodic about what he's doing vocally, even though it's not in the guttural brutal range vocalist. The fact that you can hear fairly clearly what he's saying kind of almost makes it more uncomfortable. And so he... I would almost say that in a way like... Slayer and Rain and Blood in particular was almost like the beginning, the the true beginning of extreme, because that was I would say at the time that that was the most extreme album ever made. That, well, but I mean, it's almost it's all it's borderline death metal. You, yeah, we talked about that a lot in our our death episode, but you get kind of into this catch twenty two about it. Uh, well, maybe not. Maybe that's an incorrect use of the term, but. Um, you can't really have a popular extreme metal because then you're not turning away enough people with your extremeness. It's kind of like true cult, you know, whatever it, it is. It it it's a fine line because there have been million selling extreme groups. Um, Morbid Angel was able to do it in the early '90s with Covenant. That was the first. Um, I, I want to say that that was the first million selling album that like is. Undef- like unarguably extreme. Um, you've got you've got bands like Cannibal Corpse that even people that don't listen to and know death metal they know that name they they've kind of been able to carve a a reputation for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but no one's going to go and listen to it. Is like the the point. Yeah say that there's like the band the gateway extreme groups are fairly popular like for people that are like i've never listened to death metal before cannibal corpse is gonna end up being one of the first bands that they go listen to um or morbid angel or death um you know obviously compared to some of the more traditional metal groups they have not sold near as many albums right but to say that they're non-successful and underground is also not true. Okay. But so okay. but there's no there's no real easy extreme um metal definition. 
it's kind of it's it's almost a little subjective like i said you can kind of blur the lines a little bit um but carcass they're also a band that does not ever neatly fit into one subgenre of metal they they are actually considered um one of the all-time greats in like four different subcategories <laughs> and the reason is is because they they except for death metal they pretty much invented them oh that's kind of cool yeah that's so, way cool. so you've got um you when they started out so they they formed in 85 uh okay. they're, they're an english group and um when it started off there was just three guys so there's there's kind of like there's three members of carcass well actually there's really four but there's three guys that kind of like formed the core of carcass you've got um bassist slash vocalist jeff walker you've got guitarist slash vocalist bill steer and you've got drummer ken owens that's like for most people like the classic lineup of carcass uh, slash, there's two vocalists. Yes, so they were co-lead to a certain point. After Ooh. the third record, Bill Steer stopped doing vocals. So the way you can tell the difference is that Jeff Walker is the high-pitched screamer. And Bill Steer is the really low guttural growler. Okay. He's the guy. Okay. Yeah, really, really <laughs> That's my uh, death metal scream. Somebody yeah. give me a record deal. But after the third album, he decided to not do uh, lead vocals anymore. He would still do backing vocals, but he just he was like, I just want to concentrate on playing guitar. <laughs> um, so Jeff Walker, after the third record, officially became the lead vocalist. So that's why it's like he is the lead vocalist, but he wasn't always the lead vocalist. I would okay. say that it was... Probably a 60-40 split between the first three albums between those two, with Jeff being the majority 60. Mm. Uh, So the first two records they made uh, Mm. was just the three of them. And then they added a second guitar player for the third record. Michael Amett. And he is a legendary figure kind of in his own right. Not only did he help take Carcass to the next level, but when he left them, his own band called Arch Enemy, that's become like one of the big death metal bands of the 2000s. Wow. So he's like, as far as like kind of legendary extreme metal guitar players, like both Michael Amett and Bill Steer are considered God tier. Good to know. Good to know. Um, we we will definitely do an Arch Enemy episode at some point because they're awesome. There's some yeah. there's some foreshadowing. Yeah, well, probably not for a while, but we'll, we'll <laughs> see how long it takes us to get there. Um, so there was there was two albums that he did with them where they were a four piece, and then um. In 96, they released an album called Swan Song. It was their fifth record. And right after that album came out, they disbanded. 
and um, didn't reunite for about 10 years. Mm. Okay. In the meantime, uh, Ken Owens had a stroke oh. and was in a coma for nine months. And wow. b- before he reasons he uh was not going to be in the band anymore when mm-hmm. they when they reformed in 2007 mm-hmm. so um they had to get a new drummer and they found one uh with daniel wildling who is mm-hmm. an incredible drummer and so they finally made their their official big comeback in 2013 with a brand new record with surgical steel and that was like, that was a pretty big deal when that came out. And um, and now we've got the seventh album that came out uh, earlier this month with Torn Arteries. That is quite a, like a spacing. Yeah, only seven records between 88 and 21. That's like, that's like a Metallica spacing. Where you have a yeah. whole bunch of records early, and then you just wait eight years between your last few. Well, I mean, again, and was officially broken up for a little while. That's true. That's a good point. But definitely, it was a long wait in between steel and torn arteries. Mm-hmm. And that were, they were a band that was still very much back together. They just they took their time with it. Um, so that's that's kind of a brief snapshot of kind of the timeline. So we've got a band that spans from the early or the late 80s until now. Um, okay. So that sounds about right, though. For yeah. Most death metal groups. Eh, well, yeah, I guess so. I would say, though, that they were at the very beginning of death metal. There were most of the death metal roster didn't really come around until like the early 90s like 91 91 92 was like death metal's big years when it when it kind of exploded out of the underground and got this brief taste of of popularity yeah it was honestly another one of the the musical movements that killed a lot of 80s metal because when death metal came around it was just like why would we listen to less heavier metal this this is the future this is where it's going there's heavy metal and there's less heavy metal Uh uh-huh light lighter metal so so i guess their first record would be reek of putrefaction yes I can tell. What a, what a record! So let's so yeah, let's we we kind of need to go album by album because every single album they've ever made is like almost a complete stylistic shift from the last one. Ah, uh, that's how you do it in death metal. No, that's actually not how you do it most of the time in death metal. Cannibal Corpse, really? Cannibal Corpse have made the same record for thirty years now. I mean, it's good, but it is the same record. Um. Most, it's it's you might have a distorted view about this because Death also was the kind of band that yeah. was constantly doing something new, but it's not normal. When you're a yeah. death metal band, that doesn't 
give you typically a lot of room to experiment. And so most death metal bands are just going to keep making death metal. Hmm. It just, it's kind of the unfortunate limitation of the genre. And so when you have bands like death and carcass that are able to figure out new ways to push the genre, it, it becomes a pretty big deal. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. So, um, so we start off with Reek of Putrefaction that came out in 88. And that is a, a gnarly and offensive album in every sense of the word. Um, the album artwork that you see on Spotify is the censored version. Oh, no. I dare you to look at what that album cover really looks like. It's one of the most horrifying things you will ever see. I am looking it up on Wikipedia. Is the Wikipedia one the original? Yep. Uh-huh. That is interesting. It's wretched. It certainly it certainly is a modern art piece. Yeah. Um, lots of faces, lots of body so, parts. Oh. So that's taken, those are cutouts taken from an actual medical textbook. Oh, so these are real people. These are real people. Those are real dead bodies. Wow. Yeah, that's not a, that's not artistic rendering. That's, that's, he went into, he went into a book, uh, Jeff Walker went into a bookstore and like was secretly cutting out pictures from the textbook and putting it back on the shelf. Because he couldn't afford to buy it himself, and then wow. just, and like and created the collage himself. That's kind of cool, though. Yeah, it's it's very great D- DIY stuff. <laughs> just you know, creating a collage of actual dead bodies in yeah. various forms of decomposition. Yeah, and it wow. did not. It did not get. Um, the follow-up album, Symphonies of Sickness. That is also a censored artwork that you see on Spotify. So look that one up now. Okay. Is this going to become a theme? No. These are the only two that that need censoring. So is this not the same idea? Yeah, it's the exact same idea, just with different bodies. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Definitely... Definitely death metal. Definitely extreme. But really, they didn't have a strong death metal those first two records. Oh. So they're especially their first record, I would say, and not just me, but most people would say that that's like pure grindcore. Okay. And of course, I have to explain what grindcore is. Oh, yeah, that's true. Grindcore was in its infancy when when Reek of Petrifaction came out. Really the only big record and again I use the word big relatively to come uh out of Grindcore before that point was Napalm Death's Scum, which coincidentally Bill Steer was also a member of at that time. <laughs> wow. So he made the two first major grindcore albums um and that came out in 87 
and then Reek of Petrifaction in 88. Um, so Grindcore is essentially punk sped up to its absolute breaking point. Grindcore is is the genre that invented the blast beat on drums. Mm-hmm. Pretty much the whole <laughs> yeah. The whole point of grindcore is to play as fast as humanly possible. That's why it like if you look at an album like Scum, there's going to be like 30 something songs and the doesn't even break the 30 minute mark. Oh wow. They have several songs on there that are under 10 seconds long. Stormtroopers of Death. So Stormtroopers of Death was kind of a preliminary, a, a forerunner to Grindcore. Because that was, again, it was that was a punk record. Right. So it's not really considered a metal record per se. So, um, but all those songs are like three seconds. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's, that's where that album sits. It's a punk record. That's just coming from the hardcore punk scene. And mm. just the music kept getting faster and faster and faster. And Napalm Death was kind of like the band to really finally to that level of just like, you can't even really tell this is punk anymore. This this is metal pretty much. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. Stormtroopers or Speak English or Die was pretty, pretty metal. Hmm. You got the Anthrax guitars. Yeah, I mean, it was played by metal guys. Didn't didn't help that it was it was a. But but Anthrax always had a very liberal dosage of punk in it, more so than the other thrash guys. Oh, that is certainly true. They it they they wear punk. With them. Yeah, they they wear punk pretty proudly on their sleeve, and that's kind of what sets them apart. Mm-hmm. From from all the groups out of L.A. Well, not L.A., from uh, San Francisco. Because Bay Area thrashes. Yeah, Bay Area, country. Yeah, they're, Bay, they're, Bay Area San Francisco. They're a rare uh, Northeast addition to, mm-hmm. the, to the, the thrash metal. The New York guys. Yeah. But that's, but that's, for, a, but that's for an Anthrax episode. Ah, oh, cross our fingers, guys. I know. It'll happen soon, <laughs> I promise. We've done three of the big four. Anthrax will get theirs soon. Um, I'd say pretty likely next year. Anyway, um, so that's so that's grindcore. Also, the thing about grindcore is that its lyrics usually have to be political because that was the punk part of it coming through, and that's where Carcass differed because Carcass is not getting political. They're just talking about dead bodies eating dead bodies, digging up dead bodies, mutilating dead bodies, whatever you can do to a dead body. And okay. so they they sounded like grindcore, but they also didn't necessarily follow the rules of grindcore. And so because of that, in metal, when you don't neatly follow the rules of your genre, instead of letting you in the genre, they just tell you you're your own genre now. And so they got the title of Gore Grind. Oh, wow. That's, so it's, that's very descriptive. It's grindcore with gore elements. <laughs> yeah, this is this is how you get the crazy tree of metal. Yep. 
It's by doing stuff like this. Yeah, <laughs> because you... because metal has to have its its for a for a genre that in spirit loves to break the rules, it has to have its rules of what you are and what you're not. Well, if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna explore, you gotta know where you are. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so Reek of Putrefaction literally started its own subgenre of metal. Um, a pretty a a pretty vibrant and busy genre. Mm-hmm. Lots of bands have come after it, but Carcass is still considered to be the greatest gore grind band of all time. And they really only made two of those albums. Oh. Reek of Putrefaction and Symphonies of Sickness are are even though they sound very different from each other, I mean you've got the the lyrics pretty much are the same. The the spirit is the same in both of those records. There's just two very different approaches. Um Reek of Putrefaction is r- almost an impossible album to listen to. Mainly because they unfortunately uh the guy that was engineering it like completely destroyed the mix on it and carcass did not want it to sound that way and they tried everything they could before the deadline of when they had to turn in the record to fix it and they just and of course they're like 18 year old kids and they were just like we don't we've never this this is the first time we've been in a studio we don't know how to fix this and so it was just like, it's just got to be what it is. That's kind of sad. I know. And there's going to be, a, there's a lot of people that will say that Reek is the best album they ever made because those are the people that love the lo-fi, just nasty, you know, almost pretentious in a way. Like, it's unlistenable and that's what makes it great. Uh, yeah, say that again, but slower. <laughs> um there's just there's there are people the same people that like think that the greatest black metal albums are the ones that literally sound like they were made on a Hello Kitty keyboard recorder <laughs> where it's it's yeah. you have to have the worst possible production the worst possible performances and you you should only only 5 people should ever buy your album yeah, that's kind of what I was getting about the the true cult thing. Yeah, but I mean, like there's, I think there's like a spot for like going for the lo-fi kind of approach. I mean, if you look at Metallica's Saint Anger, not the best like example of this, but but some people would say that that's one of their favorite Metallica records because of the way that it sounds. Like that's that I think is a good way to go about the whole lo-fi thing because it's not it's not a clean album the writing was bad right if they had great writing and and they actually put good takes to it it would be a great like aesthetic you know for for people who don't like the clean cut overproduced stuff i mean there's there's a way to do that but man i mean we have we have some songs from reek of putrefaction in our after hours and it's just it's so bad. Oh, it is so bad. Yet I even I will admit there is a bit of a charm to it. I I don't think that it it necessarily compares to their other output, but 
you can you can sense what they were trying to do. And again, I would say the you mis- can sense anything at all. Yeah, I would say the mistakes of that record, the big mistake being the way it sounds, was not their design. They yes. got they got screwed over on that, and in a way, I kind of can't count that against them. That's and true. it's it's kind of one of those albums like if you just like if you just like let it wash over you, it's better than trying to figure out what's happening. Ooh, and it's that best, might be an interesting experience. In its best moments, it's that's how it feels, and and in a way, it it is a true grind record. But on the follow up, Symphonies of Sickness, which was released in '89, that was a huge step forward. This this is kind of really, and the band will admit this as well, this was kind of when Carcass really was born, was on that second record. It's still very grindy, grind, still has a lot of grindcore elements in it, but they also introduced a lot of death metal elef- elements, not elephants. <laughs> death metal elements. Yeah. I try to say that five times fast. Um, which was also something that not really people had done before. Mm-hmm. And so um, that was, that was when, you know, you can, you can sense that carcass is, is trying to, to move towards something to not get stuck in the, in doing the same thing over and over again. That's something that they've been very vocal about, you know, why would we just make the same record over and over again? They were like most death metal bands are content to just make the same thing over and over again, and good for them. That's not what we want to do. That's a good way of going about it. Mm-hmm. And it's what helped them uh, be able to continue to get bigger. So, um, Symphonies of Sickness was a huge step forward. Obviously, you can hear it now. Compared again to some other metal records, it still sounds very lo-fi. But I found that after listening to Reek and then going to Symphonies, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is like, <laughs> I can actually tell what's happening. <laughs> and yeah. the there are there's actually a very large section of Carcass fans that would say that that's their pinnacle. It's I would say that's one of a contender for maybe the most brutal record of the eighties. I mean, mm-hmm. you want to talk about from start to finish, just a, a stranglehold on your senses. Mm-hmm. It is, it is nauseatingly beautiful. Mm-hmm. Wow. And in all, all of its imperfections are what make it great. You you are really talking a high game. Yeah, I am. Again, it is. It's not a record for everyone. Yeah, it's. I mean, we have a song from that on our set, and it's the first time you hear it, you're just like, I don't know, I don't know about this. But the more you listen to it, the more it kind of grabs you. The more that it lures you into its into its sickness. If if you don't mind the pun, 
Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, and that ended up being a, a fairly successful record for them on the UK indie charts. Mm-hmm. And so when they went out on tour for that album, that was that got to be that got to be their first tour. Um, they decided that they wanted a second guitarist to help beef up their live sound. So Michael Amet came on to the group when they were about to go on tour for symphonies. Mm-hmm. So um, he was part of the promotion for that album, but he was not, he didn't have anything to do with that album. And he said that when he first joined the band and he started trying to learn the songs, he started to get freaked out because he was just like, this is the most difficult stuff that I've ever come across. And I don't know if I can do it. But I guess he, he did. He, he found out a way and <laughs> ended up being a um, counterpoint to Bill Steer. So much so that they really became um, musical soulmates in a way. Well, that's nice. Great, great chemistry between the two of them. That is always nice. And so that's when we get to Necroticism, Discanting the Insalabrious, which is just one of the most insane album titles ever. Sounds like a sounds like an album title out of Willow Farm or something. Yeah. Um, and that that record is when all the grindcore influence pretty much disappeared completely. Oh. Um, yeah. Necroticism is a pure, unadulterated death metal album. Nice. I mean, it's just, it, there's really nothing in it but death. But, of course, Carcass's own demented version of death. Demented version. Yeah, all the things you can do with the dead body. Yeah, it's you still got that lyrical theme going. So is that just their whole thing? Like, every song, every single song that they've ever put out is uh, something to do with doing something to a dead body? Most. And we'll actually oh. we're, we're we're getting ready to talk about the time when they stopped doing that. Okay. Part of their evolution. So um, the Chronicism was was their biggest hit yet. Again, whenever I say this, I'm I'm talking uh, relatively in the in the extreme metal underground scene. That was kind of the point when Carcass became like death metal royalty. Yeah. They hit uh, 10 sales. <laughs> no, they, they actually did pretty good for themselves on that album. Yeah. Enough to where they could start um, doing some headlining tours in some pretty sizable venues. Because again, that album came out in 91, right? Oh, when death metal was really exploding. The height. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it was good timing that the album came out then. And that was also an album that helped to continue death metal's rise in popularity. That was that was one of the big death metal albums of the early '90s, and that's if you want to have a big death metal album, that was the time to have it. You know that yeah. that yeah. that was the era when death metal got played on MTV. Ooh, and so that's like interesting era. Yeah. Um, cause there was, there was, there was a, that early nineties was like, again, MTV kind of helped push death metal into the mainstream. Mm-hmm. 
and allowed for things like, you know, Cannibal Corpse being in Ace Ventura and um, Carcass getting name dropped on the TV show Friends. Oh, yeah. Good point. um, So, yeah, that that was a big record for them. But then came the fourth record, Heartwork. Heartwork pretty much invented a new genre which was mm. which was melodic death metal or mellow death as some people Did, call it. didn't we not talk about that in opeth yep so because, did opeth not invent it no because this record was 2 years before opeth's debut ah okay it came out in 93 and opeth was 95 uh huh now if, and if I said that Opeth invented Mellow Death, then I pardon. I'm always learning new things. That was. I, not- I just remember them being like you were. You had hailed them as being one of the quintessential, you know, melodic death metal, Swedish death metal. Oh, quintessential, I mean, yes. Quintessential for sure. I just maybe I read between the lines and and got some things mixed up. But anyway. <laughs> and I will say that they were one of the first. Mm-hmm. Really, even though Heartwork came out in 93, it didn't really start to gain traction until about 95, 96. Ah, uh, when everybody caught up. The rest of the world had to catch up. Yes. Arcus <laughs> was very much ahead of its time on that album. And because of that, their fan base reacted very negatively towards it. Mm. they accuse them of selling out of getting soft of not they also their lyrics this is when they strayed away from just gory disgusting lyrics into kind of more social commentary i noticed that on the on the heartwork song that we have on here Mm -hmm. i felt like i kept hearing the word degeneration and i'm like hmm maybe that has maybe that's a medical term Maybe it's not. I don't know. I guess we'll get there. Yeah, so um, Heartwork Heartwork was an album, like I said, that was that was not loved upon its release, but as time has gone on, it has increasingly grown in stature, enough so to where it's another one of their albums that a large majority of their fan base will argue and say it was their best album. Hmm. There's three Carcass albums that no one can agree on, on what's the best, and that's Symphonies of Sickness, Necroticism, and Heartwork. People battle back and forth. They're three completely different-sounding albums. Like, you can't even... I would say, besides the vocals, you can't even really tell it's the same band because they're changing so much in between those albums which is the fascinating thing about carcass and and one of the things that made building my set list really quite difficult Mm -hmm. because i was just like how do i jump between these really different styles and i'll explain how i solved that once we get into um once we get into that segment Um, but it was that was one of the challenges that I knew going into before I started doing all my research. I was just like that. This is going to be the inherent challenge of 
a carcass episode? How do I, how do I reconcile all these vastly different styles from the same band? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but I mean, just that's, that, that's carcass for you. <laughs> so, so Heartwork, it was a band, it was a album that, that divided the fans, but was loved by the band. Bill Steer still to this day says that he thinks it's the best album they ever made. Oh. Uh, but unfortunately, Michael Amet left right after the completion of that album. He didn't even do the tour for it because mm. his new band Arch Enemy was starting to um, gain momentum and he just he felt more connected to that because he was the leader of it. Yeah. And so he was just like, hey, I love you guys, but I just, I need to go do this. And they were like, okay, we understand. It was not a bad parting. They, kind of, they felt it coming for a while. They could tell that through the making of that album that just his heart in it. And so when he when he said, "Hey, I've got to go," they were they were pretty much expecting it, and they wished him best of luck. And he briefly reunited with them when they reformed in the late two thousands, but did not play on um, their two newest records. Hmm. By that point, Arch Enemy had become so big that's just like you can't be in two big extreme metal bands like that at the same time. Watch me. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that's and really when he left, the band kind of felt that things were changing. Mm -hmm. After Heartwork came out, that was when death metal in general started to fall out of favor in the public eye and started to retreat back to the underground. MTV stopped really MTV stopped airing music period. That was the that mid nineties about the time when MTV became what it is now, which is just a home for trashy reality TV. Um, they had canceled the headbangers ball, which was really what gave um, that was the home for all of these uh, bands. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the big things with Heartwork was that it was released on a major label on Columbia. And by after that album's disappointing sales, they were starting to pressure them. Hey, why don't you just get rid of all that growling and start singing? You can make a lot more money that way. They were getting pressured pretty hard to just make just make a great hard rock record why does it have to be all this this screaming and these blast beats and and all those all those disgusting lyrics mm -hmm. and carcass was just like no we don't want to do that and so they made one last album swan song which is i would say the one album of theirs that really doesn't have any defenders it's it's their I, I don't even want to say obviously weaker album because, again, Reek of Putrefaction is just, it's hard to get into, but you do have fans of it that will defend it to its dying breath. There's just nothing, there's just nothing special about it. Yeah. So it's, it's the one album that's not in some camp revered as genius. Hmm. 
And obviously that was intentional to name it Swan Song because they knew it was going to be the end. And they just said they had gotten bored with, with the musician touring lifestyle. They felt that they were going to all the same venues. They knew that they were never going to get bigger because of the nature of their music. They're like, we have gotten as big as we can get. So there's no exciting new barrier to, to cross. So what they do, did they go to other bands or? No, they just went and had normal lives. They said they went and got jobs (laughs) and just like lived like the normal person lifestyle. Cause they were like, we were like, when we first formed carcass and started touring, we weren't old enough to have jobs. So we never knew what that was like to just be a normal person. And so they were like, it was weird for us to experience that, you know, after having this big rock and roll dream come true. That's actually quite cool. Yeah. Just normal. Kind of the best of both worlds. Well, maybe not the best of both worlds, but, you know, have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. So, um, but then in 2007, they got back together, obviously without Ken Owens because of his medical situation. But the cool thing about that is that in in spirit, he is still part of the band. Mm-hmm. He is at all the interviews and like he's still treated by Carcass as their their founding drummer. Mm-hmm. They didn't just they didn't kind of shove him off to the side and go, okay, just you know just wait at home and hopefully your royalty check makes it to you. Yeah. Like they like you can tell that they're brothers. That they have been through a lot together and that they're not gonna leave a man behind. That's a that's a great thing about some of these metal artists. Is mm-hmm. that they sing about all these gross or, you know, sometimes scream about all this gross stuff, all these terrible things. And like, you know, you think you think that someone who would write a song like that would would have such a terrible personality. And yet some of the heaviest bands are made up of some of the nicest guys. Oh, yeah. They're just they're just good old chaps. They're they're I mean, they're real people, too. Yeah. You know, so it, it's always good to hear that. And obviously you have, with every genre, you're going to have your individuals who are not so... Uh, your your buttholes. Yeah. Your your people who may not be so... Your Axl Roses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> your Paul Simons, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it it's... I don't know why it keeps surprising me that metal guys are nice. Yeah. They look out for each other. They they well, it's just part of the part of the business, you know. They know they know no one else will. <laughs> so they're yeah. gonna they're gonna take care of their own people. Kind kind of the whole point of Slipknot and the whole point of a lot of bands. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's really cool to see that like he was the one that came up with the name Torn Arteries for their newest album. Wow. Like does he, he does he do lyrics or no? But he actually was a riff writer, and the funny thing is, is that he does not know how to play guitar at all, and that's actually what made his riff so interesting. 
is Bill Bill would talk about how he would come up with these chord shapes that no guitar player in their right mind would ever come up with. But because he has no idea how to play guitar, he would come up with these weird, demented riffs that would give Carcass this very unique sound. That's really cool. Yeah, or just riffs that are just like, why would you write this? Let's play it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, he was he was not just the drummer. He was an integral part of the writing process of the band and still is to this day, even though he can't play drums. So what, what do they do about the drummer position? So they got this guy named Dan Wielding. And or Dan Wilding, mm-hmm. and when he played on 2013 Surgical Steel, he was only 23 years old. No, and he wouldn't even my... alive when Carcass started. No, he was born in '89. Yeah, wow. He was born the year that Symphonies of Sickness was released. <laughs> oh my. And he just absolutely destroys on that record. It's a, it's a multi-generational band. Mm-hmm. Man. He it's it's just it's insane how good the the drums are. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean Ken Owen will always be the carcass drummer. But Dan is doing a very good job of of filling that throne. So is that? I guess it's not a point of contention then. No. Like how how does he deal with it, or does he not deal with it at all? It's like not a not a problem with him. Like has he ever talked about that? I mean he he knows that. He's just like I'm not in the band because I was booted out. I'm not in the band because of something that I can't control physically made me unable to play and he's like obviously i don't want the band to stop because of me and it happened when the band wasn't even formed it happened during their highest happened in 1999 mm-hmm. and so it's just like obviously he wants the band to continue right but what what is like what is dan is it dan uh-huh yeah what like is that has he ever talked about that weird relationship of like the original drummer still hanging out with him? Well, I mean, I don't. Again, he's not going to ever be thinking. Well, he's going to take his job back. And so, okay. okay, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, unless they find a different drummer, his, his or if he wants to leave, his position is pretty secure. I mean, he's been with them since 2012 now. Yeah, that's a good point. So that's almost that's he's almost been in the band ten years, which is I, which is about almost as much time as Ken was in the band as the drummer. It's it's just weird because I can see in my head, and obviously maybe this is not the way that it plays out, but I can see in my head, oh hey, play that drum part like this. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're not the drum writer anymore. You're just the drum performer. Hmm? I, I don't know. I, I actually don't know what the relationship, what that relationship looks like. Okay. But 
I would assume that he does have a pretty good amount because the thing is, is that the way that they write, everybody's involved. There's no one person that goes off and writes and brings the songs to the band and goes, this is how it's going to be played. Okay. Every, everyone is part of the songwriting process. And the thing that Jeff talks about is he's just like, we, there's no formula to writing a carcass song. You know, we, we sometimes songs are completely written by one person. Other times it's jammed out in a room together. Other times um, it happens piecemeal. We get a little bit here. We get a little bit there. Um, you know, we don't, we don't have a rule of this is how we're going to write. It's not like Rush where there was a, a set procedure of Neil's going to go in one room and write lyrics. Getty and Alex are going to go in another room and write music, and then they're going to meet up together and see what fits. Mm-hmm. And that's how we'll always do it. Mm-hmm. It's not so, like that. So speaking on Carcass songs, before we get to the songs, what to our dear listeners so they can be uh, palated properly or prepare their palates properly what makes a good carcass song? What are we about to hear? Oh gosh, what a loaded question. <laughs> um, like I said, you've got a pretty diverse sound. And I I capture that diversity in our set. Mm-hmm. We're not concentrating on any one era. We scan almost the entire gamut of Carcass's career in this set. Because I felt like if you're going to get to know Carcass, you need to know the whole story. Otherwise, you're going to hear something and then hear a different album and go, wait a minute. I was not expecting this. We're going to get all of the weird twists, turns, and surprises out of the way in the first episode. Okay. Um, as far as the things that unify, um, obviously it's going to be heavy. Expect some really heavy music. Expect it to not be straightforward. You're not going to hear songs with just normal verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, solo, chorus, outro. Um, you're going to have these these labyrinthine riff-based structures with some things repeating, but usually pretty sparingly. Mm-hmm. Um, expect... Blast beats, expect growling vocals. There is not a single song in Carcass's discography where anything is sung or even really spoken word. Any, If anything is going to be spoken word, it's going to be like a pre-recorded like sound bite. Mm-hmm. But like you're not going to have, you know, you're not going to have Jeff Walker or Bill Steer like say something with a normal voice. Yeah. Every single vocal on every single Carcass song is harsh. So that means there's no ballads. There's no like, songs. Like it's, there's no anthemic choruses as far as like, wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, you're going to hear a lot of different influences bleeding in. Um, you're going to hear Beatles-inspired moments. You're going to hear blues moments. 
You're going to hear straightforward classic rock moments. You're going to hear lots of different types of metal being melded into one. Obviously, with how I described the history, you've got or you've got some death metal. You've got some more like traditional Iron Maiden, Nawabum style <laughs> melodies coming in, mostly with the guitar. There are instances where just rock and roll comes in. Um, you've got thrashy moments. You've got doom, Black Sabbath-like moments. It just, it all melts together, and somehow it just sounds like Carcass. Okay. I don't know how they do it. No matter how many times they radically change their sound... You listen to it, and I think the vocals being a big part of that, they've had the same vocalist their entire career. The fact that you do have two guys that have played on every single release with Jeff Walker and Bill Steer um, means that the soul of Carcass remains intact. Mm -hmm. So other than that, expect some surprising things to happen surprisingly brutal <laughs> uh-huh well actually for real so actually surprisingly brutal yeah well that was that was quite the answer that was a very long answer to a also very long question so, yeah i guess with that we should get to our uh, songs yes we'll go ahead and take a break here and when we come back we are going to talk about the six songs that we have selected for your first step into Carcass. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast, where we talk about good music. We're talking about some really brutal music tonight. We just spent a whole long time, very long time, talking about Carcass. I think Lucas is very excited about this episode. Yes. Because... In a good way, you wouldn't shut up, right? I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way. It's, it's very good when it's coming out like a faucet. It's, it's very informative, and those are some of the best episodes we ever had. So, Lucas, give us a pu- puzzle update. Have you made some progress? Oh, I'm, I'm just uh, getting all the edges sorted out. Oh, oh, it's one of those like big. Oh yeah, this is deals. Th- this is one thousand. Ah, uh, okay. So this will be a while. This will be like a couple weeks project. No, this will probably be a couple days. Oh, you're that kind of puzzler. Yep. That kind of puzzler. Well, this this should prove pretty interesting as the night continues. So night for us, maybe it's morning where you're listening. This so, is going to fit in really well with our second song. <laughs> oh, it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, Maybe that was planned. Maybe it wasn't. But, nope. Uh, that was completely coincidental. But <laughs> boy, so so speaking of which, right? It's time to get into our six songs segment. We do one of these every single episode. If you're one of those new people, uh, we like to have this segment to introduce you guys to the artists that we're talking about this week, or you know, in the case of our music history spinoff, we like to introduce you to a certain era. Basically, we just want to use these songs as a way to, or as a tool to talk about different aspects of whatever we're talking about in that episode. Um, Sometimes it'll bring up some interesting conversation that we don't really even get to at all 
in the first segment. And it should provide a great listening experience, some songs that you may, you know, uh, I should say migrate into your uh, permanent listening repertoire if you should so desire. Um, and they'll provide a great listening experience, a nice flow from start to finish. And I think the flow here, I kind of got it figured out, but we'll see. So um, with that, let's get to Reek of Putrefaction, which is not off Reek of Putrefaction. No. It's off of Symphonies. Symphonies of Sickness, that is. Uh Uh-huh. So um, I think when when you're first getting into Carcass... Yeah. If you're usually if you are getting into Carcass for the first time, then you're not probably used to listening to this extreme of music. And so I knew that I was only going to probably get away with doing one song from this era mm-hmm. and then concentrating a little bit more on their death metal phase. It's a little more accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still wanted to have a song to at least show that this part of their discography exists. Mm-hmm. And um, in a way, I guess you could say that it's that it's strange that we're going to put the most inaccessible song at the beginning of a set that's supposed to convince you to go listen to them. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I just, it, it works. It's about the only place you can put a song like this. Because then after that, you get to see how the band grows. That's true. And this intro is just weird. Oh, <laughs> you can't yeah. Put it after a song. Yeah. I, so, I, so yeah, yeah, this is the opening track to uh, Symphonies of Sickness. Okay. Makes and, sense. And yeah, I mean, just you want to talk about setting a mood. Mm hmm. Also, I believe that this song gains more physicality to it when you imagine that you're listening to it with that uncensored album art. Oh, yeah. Like, imagine if you physically were holding that record in your hands Mm -hmm. and you picked it up because you're just like, what the heck could this, could a band that has this kind of album cover even sound like? This would be about what I expected. (laughs) <laughs> and then you turn it on. I feel like the 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 lengthy intro almost like kind of creates this sense of fear mm. because you can just you literally you have you have this weird like keyboard effect where you have someone turned on the vocal setting, mm-hmm. which is the last thing that you expect to happen. Yeah, that's true. And then you have this this almost like stomach churning belch mm-hmm. that it literally sounds like the sound of a body decaying. Mm. It sounds like an object that is experiencing a reek of putrefaction. Ah. And yeah. so and then you get into this mid tempo stomping moment. And just you, you know that something has to happen, and so then when it finally jumps into full swing, it's just from that point on. There's no mercy. There's no, um, there's no letting up. It's just it's pure carnage from here on out. Yeah, 
into again what is one of the most one of the most violent musically um slices of music that you can encounter slices is right sounds like you're slicing up something Mm -hmm. goodness yeah it's weird it's like you know exactly what's gonna happen with a band named carcass a song titled reek of putrefaction you know exactly what you're getting into and so when it opens with something like that it's almost like that sense of dread like you talked about like yeah it's 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 very atmospheric. It's like somewhat it's it's like in the in a TV show or a movie when they're like holding the knife to someone's throat or holding the gun to someone's head. It's got the camera right there, you know, and you're just waiting for it to happen. You know exactly what's going to happen. But when it does, it still gets you. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's just that that sense of timing is very very good. And so I mean, yeah, it's 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 pretty lo-fi. But there's no denying that there's some some technical ability there. That's some yes. fast playing. That's some pretty heavy, you know, guitar tone. Really just, <laughs> it really is brutal. There is something I forgot to mention in the first segment. Okay. Um, Carcass invented tuning down to B. Oh. So, because they... Why would you about to mention that? Yeah. They uh, they did not have seven string guitars back then, right? Because Meshuga. Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't say Meshuga in particular made that happen, but they definitely helped popularize it. But, um, yeah they they said that like they did not know anyone else, and and people have done the research and have been like, yeah, I mean, we can't really find any other bands before then that were tuning six string guitars down that low so um so that was something that carcass unequivocally pioneered now of course there's going to be someone that'll say well this obscure never before heard band in in the middle of nowhere montana released a demo that was tuned down to be Okay, sure. Fine. You got us. They're the second. Yeah. But anytime <laughs> I make statements like that, I'm talking about like the first significant use of it. Right. To be to be um pop the to popularize it. You know, it someone, is someone else has always done something first. It 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 is interesting that you say that right after we talked about technical ability. Because when you're playing in lower tunings on a guitar, and maybe you know this on bass, like you have an intuition for this on bass, but when you're tuned down, your strings are flappier. It's harder to be technical. It's harder to like get, you know, picking on the beat. Yeah. Uh, and so having a seven string, like having that low B and and of the right thickness and everything will definitely help. And I I guess they did move to that in the future, but Having a no, six they didn't. string, they no, they continue to use six strings tuned down to B. That's impressive. That's impressive. I mean, whether you like the riffs or not, whether you like the the music or not, that's impressive that are that they're able to pull that off. Would you say that this is the heaviest song to ever be on the Good Music Podcast? Um, I'd have to, I'd have to really 
think about it. Uh, if we're going to talk about like just pure brutality, know, brutality, noise, all of the stereotypes, I'd say this is this is the leading contender. I, I but I'd have to go back and look at just every single every single thing. Well, I did because okay. I thought of this question earlier, and I was just like, I want to know if this is. And again, a question like that is is a bit subjective because mm-hmm. people have different definitions of heavy. Right. But, you know, if you're considering like, I think of the heaviest songs that we've ever talked about before being like Angel of Death by Slayer. Yeah. Uh, I think of um, New Millennium Cyanide Christ by Meshuggah. Oh, and the last two ones of Meshuggah that we did. Yeah, uh, Death is Life and Death is Death. Mm-hmm, those were pretty, pretty intense. Um, or um, something like leprosy. Oh, um, ooh, got me there. Yeah, ants, ants in the sky by Between the Buried and Me. Leprosy was pretty. Leprosy was was not fast brutal, but it still. I mean, obviously, those who have been around for a while. You know, probably remember the death episode, and of course, anyone can go to the uh, which I forgot to mention. Oh my gosh! In the description, there is a link to the Spotify playlist with all these songs. So on that is also the songs we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Leprosy by Death. You guys can go listen to that. Tell us if we're wrong. But I mean, I think Leprosy will give it a run for its money. Evil Dead, you know, is also pretty yeah. pretty intense. But this has this is like speed. This is blast beats. And if we're gonna and, if we're gonna go by stereotypically heavy, you know, if we were in like a non-metal head saying, "Oh, what's the heaviest?" This would pretty much be it. I think that this is the most <laughs> inaccessible, just disturbingly heavy song that's ever been on here. Yes, and I kind of like that we're that we're upping ourselves. It's it's not emotionally heavy though. I mean, you don't feel emotional heaviness here. No. May, I mean the the intro maybe a little bit of dread maybe a little bit of ooh it's gonna it's gonna really get loud here in a second and I'm gonna it's gonna jump get you it's gonna get you you know mm-hmm. uh, but it's not that kind of deep heavy like emotional kind of stuff that you get from uh, you know more classic or ish. or maybe something like um, like uh, scissors by Slipknot. When we did that episode, that, yeah. was, that was really, really heavy, but in a, in a completely different way. Completely different way. There was also this, this, this disturbing emotional component to it. Right. And so maybe, maybe that helps its palatability. So we don't know exactly what he's saying. So we can't get weirded out. <laughs> or maybe I not. can tell you what he's saying. If you'd like uh, listener discretion, I guess. <laughs> well, there's also here's here's the other thing about carcass lyrics. Even when you read the lyrics, you kind of don't know what's happening oh. because he is not just saying simple gore lyrics. What he did was that his sister was a uh, Jeff Walker's sister was studying to be a nurse, and so he took her. Um, nursing textbook 
and was able to find some of the most creative ways to describe what happens to a dead body. So let's talk about what Reek of Putrefaction is about. It's about someone that is addicted to sniffing and eating dead bodies. Gross. Wonderful stuff. Not do not recommend. No. <laughs> um, but like the the intro lyrics is snorting the stench of latent effluvium and maturing damp fumes. This foul menage forces tears to your eyes as the corpses' gases are exhumed, intoxicated by foul body odors and the nauseating tepid whiff. Pinching your nostrils as you irrigate flatus from the emaciated stiff. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. So it's he's he's using very complex clinical words. He's not just saying I'm sniffing a dead body. Ah, mm-hmm. like he's he's going into into medical detail. Yeah, that that's pretty gruesome. Yeah. Oh, it's read carcass lyrics at your own risk. In a way, it kind of does make it a little easier to almost ignorance is bliss. Where you're just like, I have no idea what he's saying and I'm okay with that. <laughs> now that it does get better once you get into later eras of carcass. I would say particularly those first two albums that's where the lyrics are just like, let's just be as shocking and as horrific as possible. But the way that um, Jeff Walker, who, which Jeff Walker is the primary lyricist of the band. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps when you're the vocalist and you get a lot of control on what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that he finds the lyrics to be silly and funny and just like you can't take yourself seriously when you're saying stuff like this. Yeah. He's, he sees it as dark humor. He's like, we're not writing this stuff because we want to be evil and because we want to like corrupt the youth. He's just like, we just, we write this and we think it's funny. Wait. Like all of these songs, the early ones. After really? that, there starts the. After that, there starts to be a bit more of a message to it, where the the gore lyrics are a a hidden commentary. Okay, but in the er, like these early carcass songs, where it's just gore, 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 it's it's kind of meant to be tongue in cheek. Like so they're they're parodying. They're they're a parody band. Yeah, you're you're meant to read the lyrics with your friends and giggle and going, oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> hmm. That's kind of that's kind of funny. Yeah, it's he's just he's just like there's no way that you can take yourself seriously when you're singing stuff like this yeah. because it's just it's just inherently ridiculous. It's kind of like the whole attitude of black metal. The reason why I love a band like Immortals so much is because they understand that 
putting on corpse paint and trying to look and act evil is just ridiculous. It's inherently silly. And the more you think it's real, the sillier it gets. So why not just lean into the cheese of it? Mm-hmm. There's there's a self-awareness. Yeah. Because there were other death metal bands that took themselves really seriously. Uh, bands like Morbid Angel and Deicide that are that were like we be- we believe in this this the darkness Ugh, we're scary and Carcass is just like we're just normal guys mm-hmm. just writing writing stuff that we think is funny while at the <laughs> same time is able to come off as brutal as well. <laughs> It, that's a niche. That is a niche if there ever was. Uh-huh. So for the person that does not bother to look up the lyrics, it sounds terrifying and brutal. And you can you can get into just like you're not you're not l- like laughing as you hear it. Although sometimes the song titles in of themselves are quite hilarious. They love to use puns like keep on rotting in the free world and Eleanor rigor mortis. Wow. And fester day. I mean, how can you not giggle to yourself when you hear a song title like that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So with that, we get to, because we've spent like 20 minutes talking about this song. Well, we usually do on the first song. We usually do on the first. You know, you got to establish the uh got to got to establish the what should I say? template for the rest of the yeah. rest of the segment. So you mentioned that our second song is relevant to the puzzlingness. Yeah. This is off necroticism decant decanting the Discanting the insalubrious? I don't. I have no idea how to say. Yes, that that one. You know, one of my one of my primary research tools was the dictionary. This time around, that's never happened to me before. And now we have corporal jigsaw quandary is the title of the song. Yeah, and again, it's that it's another pun. Instead of jigsaw, it's jigsaw. So they're not. uh, Are they taking themselves seriously this time? No. Okay good there's there's still a fun element to it so um this song is about someone trying to um do a jigsaw puzzle but the puzzle is body parts so someone's trying to frankenstein someone back together hmm yeah you kind of get that in the intro Mm -hmm. where it's like some it's it's our spoken word section yeah, but that, well, I don't know where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Like, if that's like they hired an actor to come in and say that, or if that's like they pulled it straight from an actual like medical training video, mm-hmm. or I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's staged or if that was like a soundbite from something that already existed. It, if it's staged, they did really well because it sounds like they're being interviewed in in like a, a building. Yeah, it it sounds like. It sounds like a um a like clip a news- from a university lecture. Yeah, or like a like media he's interview. like he's talking to a group of students. Right. 
Right. And this this song, we have moved a little bit slower. We're still very fast, but we are a little bit slower. <laughs> so I, I didn't ask you this in the last song, but like, what was your initial reaction when you heard Reek of Putrefaction? Um, oh like, what, no, what was what I was going hope, through your mind? I hope the whole episode isn't like this, but if it is, I'd be okay with that, right? There's, it wasn't completely making me dread doing this episode, you know, but it was getting close. Because there's just, there was a lot happening that you couldn't tell what was happening. Mm-hmm. And so there wouldn't, I, I was worried there wasn't going to be a lot to talk about. And that's exactly what I was expecting you to feel. I knew when I yeah. put that song first, you were going to go, I don't know about this. Yeah. And that's why the next thing we, next thing I wanted to put is this song, because then what was your reaction when you heard the beginning of this song? A lot clearer, right? You have that, that intro with the, with the doctor or whoever it is or voice actor or whatever. Um, and so it's like, okay, now I get a story. Now I get something to like, at least to have in the back of my head while I'm listening to this song, maybe there will be some other interesting moments. And so now I could listen for these, you know, not true cult lo-fi moments, but these little artistic things here and there. And there's, there's plenty of, of little change-ups here in this song. I mean, it, it, my, I guess my prediction held true, maybe. Yeah. Not, so, not to so was, it a, was it a welcome surprise when you heard, um, the, uh, increased level of, of ability and production value? And... Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it did. And so I knew that it was, because I had seen all the covers at this point, I made the mistake of seeing the whole list. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, okay, we're going to be jumping between many different albums. So that first one is not necessarily going to be representative of what we're going to be listening to. And I had guessed by this point that this was probably going to be a lot like our death episode where we were going to start early and move late. Mm -hmm. And... We'll see if that held true, but that was my guess at this point. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, corporal jigsaw quandary. So yeah, we've got a we've got a man that is that is putting back together. We don't the 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 question mark is whether or not this is like a doctor doing an autopsy or like a maniac that has done this on some random body that he has come across or perhaps created. Like mm -hmm. maybe this maybe this man killed him and then decided, hey, I'm gonna do an experiment and see if I can take apart his body and put it back together. We don't know. We kind of we get the idea that whoever is putting the body back together is kind of enjoying it. Mm. Kind of someone is like he loves the idea of of this puzzle. And so um. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and, and the I'm, last... trying to, I'm trying to find some sections here with just some with some crazy words. Okay. Um. All of it. <laughs> excised and atom ad 
anatomized, eviscerated disarray, the torso diverged with pride, deftly amputated, evulsed limbs now defunct. The trunk imbrued, tatty stumps uses lugs for a chondron puzzle so quaint. Head and body decollate, a heaving, a heaving mass so quiescent. Okay. So again, these are... I knew some words in there. Yeah, these are the words that you're going to find in most carcass songs. Again, the thing that's interesting about Heartwork and Swan Song is that they move away from that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And Swan Song and moves away from it a lot. Man, can we talk about that last third of this song? Okay. It's like you you know the spot I'm talking about, right? Um when it when it slows down to when, that um yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that riff is great. It's almost like major. It's like this is not at all the same type of stuff that we were hearing at the beginning of reach of reek of future faction and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. This is, this is like a completely other direction, still very brutal, very metal, very all that, but it's just not, it's not the same philosophy. This is like groove. You know, yeah. like you can, you can kind of like bang your head to this a little bit and kind of like, you know, tap your foot instead of destroying your spine by trying to dance to it. You know? Mm-hmm. Now here's here's the most probably the most interesting thing that I learned about Carcass doing this episode. So my assumption this whole time was that I'm thinking, okay, they're a three piece and they do these first two albums and they're deliberately inaccessible, brutal, like no melody whatsoever. It's just madness from start to finish. Then Michael Amet, who is known for being the pioneer of melodic death metal, enters, and all of a sudden the music becomes a lot more riff-based and melodic. Mm -hmm. And my theory was is that he was the reason that that happened, that he Mm -hmm. kind of almost took a little creative control in the band and was just like, hey, we're going to start introducing melody and, and making death metal more melodic. Okay. But I found that that was actually not the case. Oh. That he actually contributed quite little to songwriting. He said that when he joined the band, even before they went on tour for symphonies, that they had actually already had most of Necroticism written and figured out. Uh, It was kind of part of a master plan. Yes. That Bill Steer really is the one that was pushing the band ever more towards melody. Hmm. And I mean, obviously, Jeff Walker was willing to go there as well. Right, right. Not saying that Bill drugged them kicking and screaming. But I just always thought, and, and they even, Carcass has addressed this before, saying that everyone always assumes that you know, the arch enemy guy that is so known for being a melodic death metal master is the one that made us go towards melody. And that's not true. And Michael Mm -hmm. will be the first one to tell you that, Mm -hmm. that he contributed fairly little to necroticism and that he probably only wrote a third of the leads and riffs and heart work, which was even more melodic than necroticism. He, 
Jeff was just like, it was the direction we were going to go anyway. Mm -hmm. And so, but I just, that kind of broke my view of how Carcass worked. Yeah. I had had this pre um, designed idea in my head and it was interesting to have it be completely shattered. Yeah. So obviously you have to believe that in some way Michael helped them evolve and get to where they wanted to be, but he was not the architect of it. Like I previously thought. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that even adds to, I guess, kind of what I'm saying that this same core that wrote reek of putrefaction and symphonies of sickness wrote that very groovy relatively relatively right slow <laughs> riff towards the end of corporal jigsaw quandary however you want to say that i'm not one to judge um that's really cool it's it, it's it's a diverse level of yeah i think that's very they, important to have they are not um one trick ponies that's true. Again, that's what's helped them. It's death was the same way. The metal, the death metal bands that have achieved that that god level status. Opeth being another one um, are the bands that did not stick to one way of playing death metal. They were able to evolve and change and and pioneer new ways of approaching the genre. And then when they felt like they couldn't push it or change it anymore they said okay we're done chuck chuck disbanded and quit death before he died because he felt that he couldn't take it any farther uh carcass felt the same way after swan song they were just like we don't know what to do with this death metal has been pushed as far as we know how to put it so we're gonna just quit hmm Obviously, they were able to come back after just the entire metal landscape in general changed and allowed for lots of different things to be able to happen. Um, Opeth, when they felt like the death metal side of them couldn't grow anymore, they just completely abandoned and we're just going to do like prog rock stuff. Yeah. I, I don't think that's wrong. I don't think that's no. Wrong. Some people, some people do. Some people are like, oh, and uh, in a weird way, I feel like sometimes Lucas, you w could fall into that trap of being like, oh, this band has always been like this. Why are they changing now? Mm -hmm. Kind of thing. Um, and like, I I do it too. You know, when I listen to a record from a band that I really love, that is nothing like. Uh, the rest of their work I'm like this is what this is not what I expected this is what I wanted but sometimes the best bands are the ones that just really do something crazy and really what they want to do ultimately is what what they're going to do and that can get you some of the best stuff is is where where your heart is that's where you'll put out your best work and with that well, I knew you were going to do it as soon as you said that Let's go to Heartwork. This is the one that I, I... This is the title song off of Heartwork. This is the one that I had heard before this episode. And that chorus 
um, very obvious what the chorus is because it plays over and over again. Yeah. Um, is in a weird in a weird way like the the chord structure is very melodic like it lends itself to some melody um but the vocals on top of it do not allow that and i'm i'm wondering if there's a thematic reason or if it's just that's kind of what they wanted to do or anyway so let's i guess i'll have you take the take the reins so to speak on this discussion if carcass has a greatest hit it would be cartwork it's it's their it's their most well-known song like you you look up any list of greatest carcass songs like this song is like always at number one um it it got an mtv video um it's just and it's of carcass songs it's such a great balance of catchy and accessible while still really great moments of just like nasty brutalness Mm -hmm. just think of that intro yeah it's so dissonant and so like gnarly sounding and yet then it cuts to this great melodic slow jam Mm -hmm. yeah and then it hits you with that main riff Uh uh-huh that Megadethy riff. Yep. Oh, that's that's my bread and butter right there. And then of course you get the you get the real intense extreme vocals on top of it. Mm-hmm. So kind of kind of taking away the Megadeth, but <laughs> uh, yeah. And and it's once again we've slowed from the previous song. I guess we, maybe maybe we haven't, but um, it's more accessible now. You can, I would you can say we sped up, but we've put more melody in. Right. So it's it's more palatable to the average listener. Uh, things are more distinguishable. You can tell, oh, hey, this is what the riff sounds like. This is, you know, where the verse is. This is how the song is kind of structured. It's not this uh, random conjoined whatever Um uh, Mm-hmm. labyrinthical madness that it was previously the right? tightness has really increased that's true too which really you can mainly attribute to the fact that they're just getting better at their instruments like yeah. when you when you listen to reek of putrefaction you can tell that they don't really know how to play very well yet and that's a big reason why it sounds the way it does mm-hmm that they're that they're a little bit more than amateurs and I don't mean that you know in a demeaning way it's just you know they were kids right so that's that's you're you're typically not going to get better than that on your very first time as a kid trying to write an insanely fast and technical record right but once you start playing it every night on tour and you um, continue to meet more and more musicians and and adopt certain techniques, eventually that is going to start to affect the quality of your playing. And again, the core, the same core three guys that made those first couple of records made heart work. Mm -hmm. There are 
No one has been replaced. And you, yeah, you have Michael Amick coming in, but he's really not doing much that Bill Steer isn't also doing. Yeah. And, and I mean, like you said, you got that tight kick drum, that, that mm-hmm. very distinguishable kick drum where the, the, all the guitars are doubling it too. It's, it's a very mature sound to it. Uh, like they've grown up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that comes with writing a lot of songs. Maybe they wrote all their quote unquote bad songs first. Um, uh, and uh, they, they, know... they still had they still had some bad songs in them. Okay, as but, well, as, as we will see in the bad music segment, yeah. we talk about their next album. But they uh, there's a level of understanding how to write a good song here. Yes. there's even like some theme and reprisal stuff in this death metal song. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not something that you would think about when you think about death metal. Um, and you can tell once again. You can tell where the verse and the chorus are, and the the screams are nice, proper growls, nice, proper squeals, nice, proper, very, very clean, very technical. I mean, they know what they're doing here, much more, even much more than our previous song. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 how great of a step that was. This is even further. And I'd say much, much more mature of a step, even though. It's just the next album. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, this is this is the lo- it was the logical next step to take. Right. Right. Um, so, with this more mature approach to the music, also does come a bit more of a mature approach to the lyrics. Okay. Some, Social commentary. Woo. So. <laughs> Um, this song, I wouldn't. I mean, I guess you could call it social commentary, but pretty much it's just about the nature of art, and about kind of almost like it's a song explaining why people make dark art, including heavy metal music. Talking about how um, everyone has a darkness in them, and that some people have to express it. And have to get it out of them in order to satisfy themselves. Hmm. So, um, he's uh, one of the verses says, "Profound aesthetic beauty or shaded sensory corruption, perception shattered, splintered, mirroring, and deft taints diluted, tinted, spelt out in impaired color, denigrating to paint not a pretty picture." Hmm. Okay. So I can kind of see. Okay, I can kind of see it. So yeah, this is, this is a defense of the dark arts. Yeah, not dark arts is in like witchcraft, but dark arts is in like uh, <laughs> not not to not to quote Harry Potter there. Yeah, it's it's I not it's not the that. Conjuring. Obey. <laughs> Obey. Yeah. No, I, that's it. That's kind of a Slayer ism is they write about evil stuff because every everyone knows what's bad. A lot of people have different ideas of, you know, the ultimate good. And that really depends on people's different worldviews and all of that um, sort of thing. 
but everybody knows that it's wrong to kill someone for example right it just kill an innocent person in cold blood everyone knows that's something you just don't do so it's so easy to write about that and then frame it as being something evil Mm -hmm. right and that's i guess that's kind of what they're saying is it's like we all we all have a sense of knowing what's evil yeah and i think also what he's trying to say is that what what you may think is destructive and evil and um and ugly i think is beautiful and artistic expressive it's it's yeah it's the it's the it's the nature of the artist why do people make dark art because that's what they see as beautiful and it's it's something that comes from them and once it's out of them once they get it out it's not in them anymore not that he's gonna go eat dead bodies or anything yeah (laughs) so in a way almost the song is like defending what they have used to um write about Hmm. man let me tell you the guitar tone in this song loved it Oh yeah, the the guitar tone on all of Heartwork is is pretty legendary. Again, this is another album that pretty much invented a genre. Yeah. Wow. Cuz death metal had never had this amount. Again, you can't say that they were the first to put melody into death metal. Because I mean, to a certain extent Melody has always been a part of death metal. It's just not nice melody. But, you know, death has used melody. Um, you know, Carcass themselves had used melody on on Necroticism. And it was just that this amount of melody, this amount of musical um, construction hadn't really been done in death metal before and not to this this consistent of a of a um not this consistently throughout an entire album so you had mentioned that he would hide the lyrics i I shouldn't say he because i think there's multiple lyricists or Uh, at this point so in the beginning like on the first two records they would split up the lyrical duties, but once they got to necroticism, Jeff like officially took over all lyric writing. That okay. kind of became big job. So is he hiding the message in the medical terms? No, because there really aren't any medical terms in this. Oh, song. so he's just coming right out and saying it. Yeah, and that's and that's the main um lyrical theme around heartwork and swan song is that they've ditched the medical terms for a more straightforward message it's not till we get to the two comeback albums that we really in a way combine the two earlier eras where Mm -hmm. instead of either you have a um a gory message or a social message now we can put the two together tell you what i'm ready to combine them yeah combine them into something that's unfit for human consumption which (laughs) is our next song off of surgical steel 
their comeback record in 2013. And we keep the real, the real clean sound engineering for this one. Oh, yeah. Some surgical sound engineering and some surgical drums and technicality, too. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about a mix that is in agreement with its album title? (laughs) Yeah, I, I couldn't tell what that was when I first saw it. I thought it was some kind of wheel. And so when I looked at it closer, I'm like, oh, my gosh, those are that's medical equipment. That's stuff that you stab somebody with oh my gosh there's a huge kitchen knife in there as a as a previous carcass song once said those are the tools of the trade uh yeah uh yeah surgical steel is it's it's carcass now with a modern sensibility a modern production Mm -hmm. because the thing is is that for most of Carcass's first phase, people didn't know how to make death metal sound good. Heartwork was revolutionary because it was it was one of the first like truly great engineered death metal albums. To where it was mm-hmm. just like it's it's heavy, but it's also clear and mm-hmm. you can tell what's happening. It's the reason why you could even have melody at all in death metal now because before it was just everything was so low and so fast that you couldn't discern much of what was happening it's it's again one of the reasons why the early carcass stuff tends to be more lo-fi is because producers just like i don't know what to do with this the guitars are tuned so low they're playing so fast it's all just mush yeah but of course now we know that you can with modern metal, you can literally play as low and as fast as you want, and there are techniques, recording-wise, to make it sound crystal clear. Gent, oh, yeah. Gent has really taught us that. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. And so Drop now you. A, yeah. <laughs> so now the rest of the world has caught up with what Carcass had already done, and you get to. You get to put in a fresh, energetic powerhouse drummer. Um, the the same old guys that that made Carcass what it was, and then a a state of the art recording process. You're gonna have a kick ass record. Now, here's the weird thing: they are so like tight with each other yeah but having not played together for 10 years i mean they had to have played on their own well well, yeah so remember the they reformed in 2007 okay is just it took them until 2013 to make a new record so they had been playing with each other okay did like before 07 i guess they still played their instruments you know can't can't change it, tiger stripes or whatever the saying is. Yeah, Stri- uh, tiger does not whatever it is, stripe thing. Um, I guess they kept playing, you know, and and it's 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 like riding a bike. There you go. No, it's not. What am I even? Forget the whole euphemism thing. I'm just gonna continue saying what I meant to say. I guess they kept playing during that interim, so they didn't really lose it. I'm assuming so. Yeah. Especially to be able to play at that level, you can't just 
drop it for 10 years and then expect to go, oh, uh, yeah, sure, I can play death metal again. Yeah, yeah. And those are some pretty intense runs. <laughs> like, those those riffs are like, you know, it's like, how do you stay together with the drums and with each other? And And it sounds so clear, too. It's not like they're fumbling through whatever riff it is. It's so... It's it sounds effortless. Yeah, surgical. <laughs> they they once again like leveled up on this album to an insane level of technicality and skill. It's it's pretty unreal. It's it's one of the things that's just like for a comeback record. Yeah, it's one of the best I've ever heard. Like this. This probably stands as one of the best extreme records of the 2010s. Wow. And and that's not just my opinion, but like you look at most best metal albums of the 2010s, like in the top 10 you'll find this album pretty frequently. And it's not just because it's oh it's carcass and it was just hype. Like <laughs> they delivered on the hype big time. I I really love to see when, you know, those old 80s bands are still releasing really great, you know, very technical metal records like Ironbound. Yeah, Ironbound. that was exactly what I was thinking of. Was another was another one that's just like, "Oh my gosh, like so so good. So so good front to back." I mean, when I first when I first heard it, I had to listen through it a few times before I could before I could listen to something else, and that's kind of the feeling that I'm getting from Surgical Seal is that it's it's a continue of that pretty consistent upward trend in quality. Um, at least if you're gonna if you're gonna try to be as objective as possible. Obviously, we talked about some people think you know Reek of Future Faction is their best, but um, if you're gonna be if you're gonna hold something old modern standard of, you know, this is what metal should look like. Um, and it's something that everybody, every metal head could consume and say, yes, this is good metal. I mean, man, Surgical Steel, or at least this song off of Surgical Steel is pretty much there. Yeah. The thing that makes Surgical Steel work so well is that it takes all of the best qualities from all the previous carcass records. You do have the insane brutality of the first couple of records. You want to talk about probably some of their fiercest blast beats. You'll find them on Surgical Steel. Um, as well as lyrically, we have returned back to some pretty gruesome territory. Ooh. But you also do have the social commentary of Heartwork and Swan Song. You have the the death metal filter that everything's being run through, like in Necroticism. Mm -hmm. And you have this still this great amount of melody from Heartwork. Mm -hmm. So really, instead of doing something completely new like they had done on all their other albums they pretty much almost just like, now let's take everything that was good about everything we've ever done and just put it in a blender. And out came something very... That 
that was new. Very good. But yet still, it it's an album that it's easy to please all the different versions of Carcass fans. That's true. Like not if, not that they were going for that, I assume. Maybe. I feel mm-hmm. like when you're making a comeback record, you've got to think that that might be on their minds. Because, again, also when you are a band that you have so many albums that people are won't agree on which one's the best because people are just in love with different versions of the band. If you can release something that agrees with all the different factions, then I think that you really have a winning formula on your hands. Yeah. You're, I, you're on to something. I, I would agree. So, so you said this was a social commentary song. Yes. Um, one aspect of the band that I hadn't talked about yet is the fact that um, the band is vegetarian. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, that is so funny. Yep. Which again, just adds <laughs> another level layer of humor to what they're singing about. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> And really, you could you could really say that Surgical Steel is almost like a concept record, not in the sense that it tells a story, but there's this constant theme about comparing eating and dismembering people to eating and dismembering animals, and this comparison that that people are really not much different from cattle and all the different ways that you can play around with that uh, like like if you look at a lot of the um the the song titles you've got um the master butcher's apron um captive bolt pistol which is the have you ever seen the movie no country for old men no well there's um he uses this specific kind of gun that quickly shoots a metal prod into someone's brain and then sucks it back out to where there's no there's no bullet left and that's mainly used for um killing cattle oh wow okay in a slaughterhouse uh livestock marketplace um wow like there's there's definite non-compliance to ASTM F eight nine nine twelve standard. What a song title that is. Um, but it's all like it's all food and 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 beef and and butcher. Like it's all has this running theme of of meat. People are yeah. And I feel like it's very clear on unfit for human consumption. So he's the the message being that beef is unfit for human con- consumption. And what he's doing is he's describing all of the nasty things that are in animals that are in beef, and then the whole thing that ties it together is after all, you are what you eat. Oh, that makes sense. 
because that was the only line that I heard. Mm-hmm. Salivating at the leash, straining the cadaver dogs, devouring, appetizing, diseased, gastric dining, the cadaver dogs in cold blood. Unfit for human consumption, an appetite for bovine destruction. Indulgent lymphanditis, aromatic mastitis, corrosive carcass, rotten and obscene. After all, you are what you eat. Wow. Remember that, kids. So, yeah, he's... He's just he's just giving it to you nice. Yeah. On a on a silver platter, so to speak. Uh, Not yeah. to be pun. Very stretch of a pun. Very much a stretch. You using a pun never. I can't turn that into a pun. I'm sorry. I just <laughs> I tried I tried to think of one and I couldn't do it. Anyway. But yeah, so I, I can't confirm if that is a legitimate theme throughout the whole album, but I've seen it enough times to make me think that it is definitely, at the very least, what was on their minds at the time of making this album. Right. So let's, from there, go to our longest song of the set. Really yeah. a proper, a nice proper epic, it sounds like. And uh, the longest they've ever made. Or just maybe a long song. I don't know. Is it is it an epic, technically? I a long song. I would say so. Again, like I said, it's the longest song they've ever made. So it's definitely a carcass epic. Mul- multiple suites, perhaps. It sounds like. Um, I mean, I don't think it's like, like in a thing where you could like do the Roman numerals and. But it like, sounds like multiple. I, I just think versions. that it's a, intentional it's a, or not. Because it does constantly go back to previous parts. Oh. Yeah, kind of a little bit. Yeah, okay. So this is um let me let me get this right. Um Flesh Ripping Sonic Torment Limited. Yes. Yes. Now Off I'm gonna torn arteries. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this up front. Because this album is so new. I could not find any posted lyrics about this song anywhere online. Wow. Because no, one, but no one's put them on the internet yet, and I can't understand most of what he's saying. So we started this whole thing with a whole lot of heaviness, a whole lot of weird, intense stuff and Rico Putrefaction. We slowed it down for a little bit. Then we went to some real surgical, melodical stuff. And now we opened this one with acoustic Mm-hmm. This is like this is a new this is a another new avenue that we haven't been in for this episode. Yeah. Almost <laughs> almost some some progginess to this song. A little bit. I I would have to say this one has a lot of really just good moments and the layered vocals help the brutality. Mm-hmm. I really love the layered vocals here. It adds a nice effect. Yeah. So, um, like I was saying earlier, Torn Arteries is the brand new record. I had to have something from the brand new record on the playlist. Right. And as soon as I was listening to the album and I heard this song, I was just like, oh, yeah, this one's got to be on there. (laughs) Yeah. 
all nine minutes and 42 seconds. Mm-hmm. How impressive that so far into their career, they make a song that can rival the best that they've ever made. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. And then not only that, but it's it's not like a copycat. This <laughs> song doesn't sound like anything we've had previously on this set. There's some weird slow sections with this guitar solo-esque thing that I can't even describe. <laughs> and the chorus, I guess you could call it a chorus section, is unlike what we've heard before. I, It's new. This is a new, new idea, and I really like it. Uh, and, of course, you, have, you still have the brutality. You, know, you still have the harsh vocals. But if you look at this from a purely compositional standpoint and, and take away maybe the, the metal filter, there's some new ideas here. There's like some new philosophies behind the whole thing that, are, that is packaged in an extreme metal, death metal package. Um, I, I, I quite like that. So yeah. maybe you could guess what my favorite song is. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, it's... I'll just say, when I first heard this one, I was surprised to see how long it was. I got, like, maybe eight minutes into it, and I looked at the time, I'm like, is this still the same song? Sure enough, it was. And it, it Good songs like that, you know, really... We talk about that all the time on the podcast, is that a good song will not feel long. It will never overstay its welcome. And those chorus moments when they come in, you're always looking for them, but you don't miss them until they come back and you just realize how much you missed it. It's it's compositionally genius. I don't know how they did it. Somehow it sounds like it's off of uh, Sound of Perseverance while simultaneously being completely its own thing. I, I, I don't know how they did it, but uh, it, it's very impressive. Yeah. And how old are they now when they're doing this? They're in their early 50s. Yeah. This except for it... except for Dan Wilding, he's in his 30s. Well, but I mean, if you're going to talk vocally and if you're going to get carpal tunnel from doing intense guitar riffs, you know, being that age is not conducive to a uh, uh I should say a work environment like this. No. It's the reason why a band like Slayer had to retire so early. Right. Because it's just like the body can't handle that amount of punishment for so long. So do they still tour them? Yeah. But again, I think the one of the secrets to their longevity is that they're not, because of the fact that they have gone back to have just normal, ordinary lives, they don't have to keep writing, recording, and touring in order to like live right and so you can they can take seven years off after um an album to just like do whatever they want that's really nice that's that's like the ideal musician lifestyle isn't it yeah i would say so you can have the the fame and the bright lights and the stage and the touring when you want and when you don't you have plenty of other exciting things to go experience you know 
that's that's quite cool. It's quite uh, admirable that they were willing to pull that off. Yeah, not necessarily that they were able to, but that they were. Yeah, that they were willing to. Also, a little a little cool Easter egg about this song. The name is the same name as their very first demo that they made in 1987. Oh. Wow. So it's a... But, like, demo, like, full amount of songs? This isn't a name of another song? Uh, no. This is the name of the demo that had, like, like, ten songs that would end up going on Reek of Putrefaction. Wow. So... They they like to do that from time to time. Like there's another song on um, Torn Arteries called "Wake Up and Smell the Carcass," which is the name of their Rarities and B Sides compilation album. That's cool. Little so, references. Yeah, little nods to their past, to their history. They... And again, something something I believe that Ken Owens had originally. Uh, or Ken Owen had originally come up with that whole idea of nodding to the past. No, just that that original for that demo had come up with. Um, gosh, I have to I have to look at the name of the title to get this order right. Okay, flesh ripping Sonic torment, and the limited is actually um, the new part to the song title because orig- the original demo was just called flesh ripping Sonic torment. Oh, oh! Were they not allowed to like do the same? Was that a legal issue? No, that's probably just because that's again the humor coming out. Ah, yes, the humor. They are some funny guys. Funny, ha ha, knee slap. Which actually, yeah, they are kind of funny. <laughs> but um, it, come on, it, but, the- but this song doesn't sound funny. No, and their songs never do, and that's again, that's that's the line that they ride where, right, where because you don't understand while you're listening, it it comes off as brutal and heavy and very serious, but then you start reading the lyrics and you're you kind of you have to chuckle to yourself. I Probably, I don't know. Like, I mean, the, the last section of this song. The last section of this song, when they're like circus of death approaching, and then they do the real like dark brooding riff, I'm like, ooh, that's pretty serious. Like maybe you should take cover. Yeah, and again, that's kind of a bit of the shift that they've taken in more recent years. But again, then you remember the fact that the song is named after their first demo, and you're just you kind of just have to grin to yourself. Yeah. This, this is, is the same album that has the song Eleanor Rigor Mortis. Oh, uh, yep. <laughs> yep. So, you know. Or uh, they have another song on the album called um, uh, Psycho Pomp and Circumstance, March Number One in B. That's like. Uh... It's a typo negative song title. Ooh, there's my reference for the month. There you go. <laughs> I haven't done one of those in a while. I had to I had to explain to somebody the other day um that I had to or I've I've 
taken it upon myself to make regular uh, references to typo negative. And then I had to explain what typo negative was. That was a very interesting conversation. And you and you were sad on the inside. No, I actually wasn't. I was I was like, ooh, you should listen to Green Man and not think about their other songs like Lung and Liver and Everything Dies. But anyway, <laughs> the typo negative is, is I think legitimately they are depressed people, but Carcass not. No, I, they're they're just a bunch of fun loving They're a bunch of goofballs. Bunch of goofballs. Yeah. So let's let's get to our catharsis moment. Yes. Our mount of execution off of surgical steel. Yes. Yeah, so this is the this is the one time in the set that we have gone backwards. Let's, yes. Because I couldn't resist having this grand epic moment coming in at the end. Yeah. And it's got another Megadeth feel to it Mm -hmm. Uh, with that intro. It's just, it's, this is so like early Megadeth sounding with that, that chord progression. And it goes to like a major over C sharp or whatever it is. Like uh, Uh, last rites. I was thinking like last rites. I was thinking like um, in my darkest hour or, um, Mary Jane, definitely, definitely something off of So Far So Good, So What. I mean, ah. the sound of that album is permanently ingrained in my brain because that's my favorite Megadeth record. Um, but yeah, it, it still has that very Dave Mustaine method about things. And you can really even hear it even so much more in this one than Unfit for Human Consumption. Even when he gets to the um verse because it almost is structured like a something off of endgame or um their more recent stuff. Mm-hmm. So and it's weird that every single album we've been through is like, oh, this sounds just like this other record. Um and so I mean like, you know, the, both surgical steel sound like Megadeth and and uh, the Torn Arteries one sounded like uh, Sound of Perseverance, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm wondering how much crosstalk, you know, goes the other way. Like, obviously, they've been inspired maybe directly or indirectly by these bands. But it, it'd be interesting to see what kind of inspiration that they then maybe put back into the big metal scene, right? Because they didn't make it big. You know, what What was their mark on bands like Megadeth? Because those... It's an those interesting thing metal- to consider because you, you, you start to wonder whether or not they were even on some of those bigger bands' radar. Oh, I mean, I can guarantee you Carcass is on Dave Mustaine's radar. He is all about those shock rock and metal bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he even... When he first heard, you know, after he had claimed to, you know, be born again Christian, right? He um, heard about the band Rotting Christ. And he's like, oh, that's a really cool name. You know, he didn't think, oh my gosh, that's blasphemous, whatever. Uh, actually, right. he did. He Well, he, he did. He did he, when he looked at their artwork and what they, what they kind of 
what they believed. But when he just heard their name, he's like, okay, I get it. You're trying to shock people. Mm-hmm. Right. There's, there's an interview where he, he spells that out. Uh, and so he's, he's kind of all about the, the up and coming. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's guy. what they started off doing. Right. Right. And, and, and so I think a band like carcasses on someone like that on, on someone like Dave Mustaine's radar and maybe that that has, you know, fed back into the system in a weird way. Like the whole metal genre really is kind of an echo chamber because <laughs> metalheads aren't going to listen to anything else. That's true. Something we're trying to break. Right. Definitely. It's it's helped me this podcast. So maybe someone who's listening to this episode and thinking, man, Carcass is the best. Go listen to our simon and garfunkel episode maybe you'll like that you know yeah Shame go listen to play. phil collins go listen to Ooh, man that that was a good episode for genesis that whole genesis appreciation month if you're a metalhead that's way outside of your comfort zone but it would be a fun experience so i mean we like to say it a lot you know encourage yourself to to step outside of your comfort zone and listen to something that you're not you know used to listening to and for those of you who are like, man, Simon and Garfunkel was great. I loved the Journey episode. You know, take a second to listen to these songs. Some really, some really great breakdowns in all of these songs that maybe if you're not a metalhead, you're like, oh, what's a breakdown? But when you hear it, you'll know. So it'll get your head banging and maybe your foot tapping. Or maybe it won't. And you will waste just a few minutes of your time. Well, we're, we're almost starting to get into final thoughts territory there. We really are starting to get into final thoughts territory. We've still a got a whole point. song to talk about. Yeah, we haven't even started talking about Mounts of Execution, have we? Mm-mm. So, um, lyrically, this one kind of surprised me as far as just like it's it's fairly straightforward. Not really any any medical terms or it's it's almost like just a a great apocalypse song. A dark mobilization, an aphotic horizon, a war unrestrained, reign of terror is unleashed, the battalions of rage are trooping down from the heights of Bible Hill. That's so Megadeth. It is really Megadeth. <laughs> there was oh no Jerusalem but a Golgotha that you created. I mean, that's a pretty Megadeth line right there. That really is. <laughs> when when you say the term Jerusalem, it's either Genesis or Megadeth. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and some weird, like, major riffs, too. That riff that kind of comes around halfway through this song, uh, it, it, it feels kind of like unfit for human consumption because it's very very technical and very very uh, melodic and descending and all this great stuff um, but in a weird way it sits in a different major mode than you're expecting and it kind of pushes you around a little bit in a musical theory sense um, so it keeps a little bit of the chaos while still being very intellectual and that's very proggy so I kind of like that. Uh, 
And yeah, of course you have that section at the end. When oh I actually, yeah. When I when I first heard this and it cut to silence and then it opened with that riff, I'm like, oh, this must be our bad song, which we are about to talk about in our after hours. But I'm like, no, this is actually good. There's no way. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a great fake out. Ooh, it was really good. It's not like a hidden track kind of thing. No. It's... Is this the last one? Yeah, it is the last one on the album. Yeah. It's and it's a just a good, like nice groove stank riff, you know? It's a great it's a great way to end that record. And it's definitely you have the you have the feeling when you're listening to us it, just like they knew that this was gonna be the closing track. Mm-hmm. And they're just, they're giving us one last great, glorious jamming moment. Mm -hmm. And it gets really melodic at the end. I mean, you even have like that lead line that kind of carries the third. It's that's, that's, that's classical right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's an, again, it's even on the last song, they keep you guessing as to what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. And they just, they leave one last great surprise there at the end. Oh, yeah. And I just, I felt like that that was the best way to end things. It was a great way to end things. It was, I mean, as far as catharsis moments go, this is not mind-bending, not world-shattering, you know, altering the reality Altering the future, maybe. Well, I mean, that's that's pretty day. high standard. Right, right. Uh, we've had some of those episodes before, and we've had some episodes before where it's like, ah, oh, musically, this is really great ending, and it kind of ties the whole band together and whatever. This This doesn't really do that, but in a way, it kind of ends the progression that we've been on. Right from mm-hmm. from the beginning of this set, we started really early in their career. Um, the first song of their uh, second album, very heavy, very lo-fi, and now we end with the last song of their second and most recent album, and it's very clean, very surgical, very um, technical. The sound engineering is just crystal clear perfect very heavy very melodic um it it couldn't be a better juxtaposition still so yeah it's 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 cool to end almost in a way like very opposite where we started if you would have played the first part of reek of putrefaction and then played the last part of mount of execution and then say is this the same band most people would say no yeah I would say no. <laughs> I would I would say no. And and not only that it's the same band but it's like the same writers, the same people. Yeah. Same exact people. Well, no cuz Ken Owens not with them at this time. But I mean as far as the writing process, it's you know, you've still got Jeff Walker and Bill Steer. Right, right. Well, but Ken Owens was never like writer writer. Yeah, again, he was he was actually a pretty prominent riff writer. In 
Okay, good point. I would say probably all the way up till hard work. Okay. Never mind. But still the same core. It's it's it is still it's not it's not like it's a completely retransformed lineup. Not right. at all. Right. That's super cool. Yeah. That's super so cool. with that, I think we'll go ahead and take another break. When we come back, we're gonna give our final thoughts about carcass. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We just got finished talking about Carcass and the six songs of our set. So just as a refresher, those songs were Reek of Putrefaction, Corporal Jigsaw Condry, Heartwork, Unfit for Human Consumption, Flesh Ripping Sonic Torment Limited, and Mount of Execution. Man, what a what a series of song titles that is. It just uh, gives warm feelings to your heart. Yes. <laughs> um, if you want to listen to these songs, if you are brave enough to enter this domain, then uh, click on the link in the description of the episode. That takes you to uh, our Spotify playlist where you can listen to not just the songs on this episode, but all the songs from our previous episodes as well. Um, even those of y'all that maybe are not into heavy metal, I would still recommend give it a try. You know what you might like unless you listen to it. So mm-hmm. um, that's just the spirit we have here at the Good Music Podcast. Um, with that said, Grant, let's get into our final thoughts. You started off at a five. You were completely uh, oblivious to the existence of Carcass except for one song. You put yourself at a five. Where do you stand now? At least a six. It was so easy to push me all the way to six. Like, um, and I can already tell you, I'm going to listen to Surgical Steel uh, because I just I like the sound of it. I like the sound. Yeah. I like the philosophy. I like the technicality. Uh, it's just, I mean, like I said in the last segment, it's really my bread and butter. And I did, I did uh, talk a little bit, like, kind of final thoughts territory. Uh, in the last segment, so I'll I'll inject that right here in my final thoughts, and continue and say that you know my favorite is Flesh Ripping Sonic Torment Limited, um, just because that course is pretty good. Yeah, and there's some there's some real interesting parts in there that were just just kind of throws you every which way. Is a little proggy, is is a little bit of brutal, just a little bit of a little bit of all the good stuff. And still something very new and something I never heard before. And I liked that experience. Um, every time I listened to it, it was just, it was kind of a new, like, oh, I forgot about this part. I really like that part. Um, and maybe that's a problem so extreme and also 10 minutes long. Um, but, you know, I really enjoyed that. I'm at least a six. Going to listen to Surgical Steel. Um, and, you know, to caveat off of what have Lucas said to about going and listening to songs. Even if you're like, man, metal sucks. You know, I hate it. It's gross. It's just noise. If you've never listened to metal, you should at least listen to Carcass. So then when you're going to, you know, bash metal, you'll have an educated standing (laughs) to be able to do that, you know? So 
and that's something we also we also advocate on here if you're gonna if you're gonna bash something at least know what you're talking about so i really i really made uh grant pay the price for that last week yeah yeah you did and man that was that was that was quite a uh change in my in my heart so to speak that now i'm at a now i'm at a i'm at a good standing with journey there's no beef between us so (laughs) (laughs) what was that evil laugh (laughs) oh it's getting worse it was just contentment yeah okay well i i know you uh you probably will have some thoughts here yeah um so like i said at the beginning of the episode my uh i did have a fairly good uh understanding of carcass before coming here but it was it was a bit more head knowledge than ear knowledge so i i knew a lot about them just from videos and articles and just learning about them through the history of metal but hadn't listened to them properly enough to be to understand the whys and i feel like i i know that now i got to listen to a lot more stuff of theirs that i hadn't really listened to before um as well as we've got the we had the brand new album for me to jump into which i thought was very very good and yeah i just i feel like i now have the music to back up all the things in my brain that I knew about carcass and, and un, instead of just saying, Oh yeah, they're important. I understand now in my heart why they are important. Um, as well as I've just, I've, I heard a lot of great music that I'm now going to regularly return back to. Um, I mean, surgical steel, heartwork, even symphonies of sickness is an album. I see myself in the future just going, you know what? I'm in that kind of mood right now. Let's just get brutal. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, yeah, so I would say at this point, I'm at a pretty high seven. So, oh. like, if I found out that Carcass was going to be playing a show around here, I'd be like, man, I need to go see that. That would be such a fun show to go to. Yeah, I might want to go. Just for the experience, yeah. Yeah, it would be an incredible experience. Um, so yeah, that's our episode. Thank you guys so much for. Oh, I didn't even talk about my favorite song. Yeah, man, this was this was hard to pick, and I'm 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 gonna say something that might be a little shocking, but after thinking about it, I think I think Reek of Future Faction might be the one for me. <sighs> There's just something about it that I can't even quite describe. It's it's weirdly fascinating to me. It's so disturbing and so brutal. It's kind of like that car crash that you just can't help but look at. Yeah. It's it's like I said before, it's it's grotesquely beautiful in a way. It's it's the it's almost a perfect coming between of just raw and and crazy and I find that when I get 
when I start listening to the set, that's like the one that I'm most excited to listen to because of how weird and deranged it is. Yeah, okay. Okay. I can see where you're coming from, yeah. And it's also kind of just like the, the very, uh, for lack of a better term, kind of the homemade feel of it. it kind of sounds like somebody and their group of friends made it at their house. And it mm-hmm. just feels like there's there's a slight element of having fun with it that is really cool. But the, but the funny thing is, is that on our ranked playlist, I have it as the least of the six songs on the set. Ooh, so what's the ranked? So by the way, um, for those of you that don't know, for my research purposes, it helps me to get familiar with a, an artist's discography. I try and rank their songs from worst to best. Um, and you can see that on our Spotify page if you want to check it out. Um, I was able to do Carcass's entire discography, which was nice. Um, I have Reek of Putrefaction at number eight. Um, Unfit for Human Consumption at six. Flesh Ripping Sonic Torment Limited at five. Corporal Jigsaw Quandary at four. Mount of Execution at three. And Heart Work at one. Ooh, so we didn't have the number two. No. It is also Surgical Steel, though. Ooh. Man, so I I, I guess I made a good... Good guess on my future listening. I have yeah. one last question. Uh-huh. How far have you gotten on the puzzle? Oh, I'm get, I'm doing fairly well on the border. <laughs> While I work on the border, I also separate all the pieces. So it's the the beginning part of a puzzle for me is always the most labor intensive. Oh, it's always the most fun. Yeah. Yeah. And then I start filling in the different parts. Filling so we did. I did pretty good tonight. Good. Um, I did not let Harry listen to any of these songs. And and I or, guess that Callie didn't want to. No, but I did show her the song titles, and she said that. Um, jokingly, she said, "I, how can you say no to Reek of Puke of Putrefaction?" <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> She sure. under she under like I I sent the song list I, I actually sent the top twenty five songs uh, to my family group text just to see how they would react and they were all like cracking up hysterical at some of the song names, which again just shows that the overriding feeling that people get is that it's humorous it's funny. Like, they were just picking out different song titles and just, like, putting, like, the crying, laughing emoji next to it. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you just, you've got some great um, song titles, like um, uh, Malignant Defecation and Microwave Uterogestation. Yeah. Uh, Feast on Dismembered Carnage. Just, just a real good, wholesome, you know, selection of song titles. Oh, yeah. The Blood Spattered Banner. 
Well, I mean, it's just, it's all just great stuff. Can write a children's book out of this. Swarming, vulgar, massive, infected virulence? I mean, who Boom. doesn't want to get down to that? That's a, that's a good one. Crepitating bowel erosion? Ooh, that's not a good one. <laughs> I mean, again, you can't look at that stuff and not just think, wow. Bowel that is just That's just incredible. I don't think I want to think about that anymore. And okay. I and I still didn't mention some of the really insane sounding ones. Oh no. Pretty much just look at the track listing for Reek of Putrefaction. You'll find some really great gems in there. Oh oh. Uh-huh. Yeah. You already started off with a really great one there. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, with that, thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. If you liked what you hear, make sure you hit that subscribe button. We have new episodes every Monday at 12 midnight on Mondays. Um, next week is going to be our listener pick. It's Ooh. a band that one of our um, most devoted followers has been bugging us for a while to do an episode on. I'm finally relenting, not relenting because I didn't want to do it, but just because I, I didn't know when I should do it. Now's the time we're going to do it. Um, we're going to go back to the seventies. So make sure that you tune in next week for that. And uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. It's the best place to um, to get in contact with us to let us know what artists you want us to cover in a future episode and um, make sure that you leave us a review on whatever platform that you're listening on that's an, also another way to let us know what artists you want us to talk about and what you think about the podcast and then there's two links in the description of the episode one's going to take you to the Spotify playlist where you can hear um these songs as well as all the songs from our other episodes and then the other one's going to take you to our patreon page where you'll get access to episodes early as well as you get to listen to the bad music podcast which is a really fun segment we're going to talk about some really insane carcass songs on there and that's it i'm lucas i'm grant keep on listening to good music